Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called Who Is This God? A study of Exodus 34, 6-7. Through this important scripture, we'll learn that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I think a number of things come to, to mind when I think about God, but um, uh, one attribute of, of God that strikes me time and time again in my walk with, with knowing the Lord is His love, His great love for me. So um, that hasn't been easy, easy for me to assimilate on my spiritual journey. For example, I'm a 14-year-old kid, super awkward, super uncomfortable with my body and who I am. Um, 14 years old, um, and I remember having a conversation with God like, okay, I'm five foot nothing, I have braces, I'm 100 pounds, barely, sopping wet, and you know, I'm getting insulted in school and teased, and, and I said to him, I'm gonna go to the, this Cherry Hills youth group, and this was like 20, 26 years ago, um, and give it a try, because my brother was going. And uh, nobody talked to me but the youth pastor's wife, which doesn't count <laughs> for the first few times I was there. But then, um, um, and I told God, I said, you know what, I'm gonna try one more time, but all I feel is what I've, what I've had in my life and that nobody accepts me. And that, do you even accept me, God? And uh, I remember right where I was in the basement in the old building on Outer Park Drive. Fourth time I was there, I was like, I'm gonna go one more time, God. One more time, I'll give it a try. And I'm about to leave, nobody talked to me. I'm about to leave, and Clark Wright comes up to me. And authentically, I think, meant what he said, was like, hey, before you leave, I'm just so glad you're here, and I hope you come back. And it was like, you know, those, uh, there's those moments for, for each of us where kind of heaven comes to earth or God speaks through his church, through an individual, and says, no, I love you. Um, and that he did that for me through Clark Wright. So rather than telling stories of, you know, I could talk about different spiritual powerhouse influences in my life, it's those, those moments that, are, that nobody sees where God speaks to you his love. And that's how he spoke to me. Do you even accept me, God? What a powerful question. I'm sure some of us in this room have asked something similar ourselves. And this morning, as we continue our six-week series in a series we've called, Who Is This God? It's questions like that that caused us to want to do this series. If you're following on your notes, in this series, we're considering the idea by A.W. Tozer that what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, is what we think about God the same thing God says about himself? Do my thoughts about God match what God says about him? And to answer that, we're looking at one of the most significant passages in the entire Bible, really. It's the most quoted passage in all of Scripture. It's Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And last week, Brian did a great job kicking off this series by reminding us this God has a name. His name is Yahweh, which means he is who he is. He's the eternal creator God. And yet he looks down on us and says, I want a relationship with you. And today, as we consider this 
God, Yahweh, we want to ask the question, what's the first thing he wants us to know about him? I always find it interesting, right? When you meet somebody new, Chuck talked about this. It's interesting what they think is the most important thing for them to tell you about them first, right? Maybe it's their job. Maybe it's their title. Maybe it's about their family. If you go down to St. Louis, there's a really odd thing down there. Maybe some of you have experienced this. They tell you first what high school they went to. That's like a big deal down in St. Louis. And so it's important. It tells what we think is important about us. And so I want to know, what does Yahweh tell us first about himself? To discover that, let's read these verses that we're going to be camped out in throughout this series in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Let's read it out loud there. It says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Just like with us in the Hebrew scriptures, order matters. Order is a clue as to what is most important. And the fact that compassionate and gracious is the first thing Yahweh wants us to pay attention to when it comes to him is really important. So let's look at these two words together. We're going to do a little bit of a word study. The first thing you got to understand is often in scripture, they are combined together. They really all usually are compassionate and gracious, compassionate and gracious. But there are other times when they are separated. And so here's what we'll do. We'll look at these two words separately, and then we'll see how they kind of jive back together again. So the word compassionate, you want to learn some Hebrew this morning? I can tell you're really excited. Ready? It's the Hebrew word rahum. You want to say that? Rahum, right? The word rahum actually is, a, is kind of a picture of a mother's womb. Believe it or not, this is the word they use to describe a mother's womb. And the word is inviting us to consider Yahweh's tender feelings towards his children. And so if you're following on your notes, compassion is a feeling word conveying intense emotion. It's translated in English as deeply moved. A good example of this is early in the kingship of King Solomon, where two women who both just had babies come before his throne, but one of the babies had died. And these two women are claiming that the living child belongs to them. And so Solomon makes this decision. He says, bring me a sword and I will cut the one living baby in half and give you each a half of this baby. The woman who that wasn't their child says, yeah, that's a great idea. But the woman who is, that is their child, look at what she says in 1 Kings 3, 26. The woman whose son was alive was, there's our word, rahumed out of love for her son, and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. In Solomon's response, we see in the very next verse, in verse 27, then the king gave his ruling, give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is the mother. How does he know that? Because of the rahum that she felt towards this child, willing to give it up to this lying woman. Believe it or not, there are also examples where Yahweh compares himself to a mother full of rahum for her child, Israel, who constantly turns his back on her. Isaiah 49, verses 14 through 16 says, 
But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. You can hear Israel, right? The Lord has forgotten me. And Yahweh's response, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion, there's our word, on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Maybe that's stunning to some of you that God has this motherly compassion like a mom does for an infant child when it comes to his people. So if you're following, here's all I want to get to. Rahum is how a parent feels about their children. It's how a parent feels about their children. It's the opposite of mean or harsh or indifferent. It's this feeling of deep affection and concern. And so what's the first thing you learn about Yahweh from himself? He says, I am full of compassion and affection and love for you. Do you know anybody who has this character trait in their lives? This rachum, this compassion, and you just look at it and go, wow, I don't have that. Like, I don't have that. Our daughter has that. Kirsten is her name. And when it comes to children especially, she just has this incredible compassion, especially for ones who need a little bit of extra care. And I just want you to multiply that by a million and think that's just a glimpse of how Yahweh feels about his children how he feels about you and how he feels about me. And so to answer Chad's question, yes, Yahweh accepts us deeply. Now, sadly, I'm just going to say, some of you in this room, this doesn't connect to you at all. You grew up in a family where you didn't experience this kind of compassion from your parents. Maybe you had a perfectionist parent who was just waiting for you to screw up. Maybe you were never good enough or athletic enough or smart enough to meet their demands. And so this idea of this affection from a parent is hard for you to grasp. But please, let's remember, let's separate our fallenness, our parents' fallenness from the truth that we have a perfect parent. His name is Yahweh, and he exhibits compassion towards all of his children, including you. Now, the second word we see here is the word gracious. We're familiar with this word, but in Hebrew, the word is hanun. You want to do that one too? Ready? Hanun. And it means, if you're following, to act in kindness to someone in need. This term is usually in regards to somebody who is in a superior position offering Hanun to somebody who is lower or beneath them. A great example of this one is Queen Esther. When the Israelites are going to be killed, right? She goes to the king and begs him for Hanun. And we're told because the king Hanuns her, he gives her this kind of grace. So Hanun is favor towards someone, delight towards someone. The most extreme examples of Hanun are when somebody doesn't deserve it, right? I think of Jacob. You know the story of Jacob, the liar, the deceiver. He runs away after taking Esau's birthright, but about 20 years later, he wants to come back to the land, and he's nervous about how Esau is going to receive him. And we get this picture of Jacob getting down on his knees and begging his brother Esau for Hanun. And Esau, amazingly, offers it to him. He favors Jacob in this situation. He gives him grace that he doesn't deserve. In the Bible, Yahweh shows Hanun over and over and over again. 
Friends, in the context of the story we're studying right here, you got to put it into shape here, right? The Israelites had just entered into a covenant with the Lord, right? They just said, yes, we will do everything you say. That included the Ten Commandments, which come just before that. Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the covenant, to ratify it, to get the tablets. He comes back down, and what have they done? They've broken the first covenant or the first uh, commandment, right? They built this golden calf. And at that point, God is like, what am I going to do with these people? Moses says, Lord, please, I beg you, show them Hanun. And the Lord says, I will show them Hanun. I will give them favor that they do not deserve. I will never leave them nor forsake them. Other examples of Hanun by Yahweh include Genesis 21.1. Now the Lord was gracious, Hanun, to Sarah. And he said, as he had said he would be, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. We see it again in 2 Kings 13, 22 and 23. Hazel, the king of Aram, oppressed Israel throughout the reign of Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion and showed concern for them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To this day, he has been unwilling to destroy them or banish them from his presence. Notice here, his grace is to save Israel from this annihilation by a foreign army. Now, in the New Testament, I bet you some of you know this, the Greek word for grace is charis. It's charis. And charis is the entire basis for what the gospel is, right? God, Yahweh, granting favor or kindness or grace to people who do not deserve it. Now, let me bring these two words together, right? As we see, rahum or compassion is this feeling word. It stirs something deep in the gut of Yahweh. Hanun, grace, is an action word. It's something you do for another person out of a favor, out of kindness. So let's bring that together. If you're on your notes, understand. First thing Yahweh wants us to know is that Yahweh acts graciously based on his feelings of compassion. It's the first thing he wants you to know about him. Now, the best example of this in the Bible is found in the story of Jonah. One of my favorite stories. I know I mentioned it on Easter, but let's look at how it gives this great picture of Rahum and Hanun working together. In the opening lines of Jonah's autobiography, here's what we read. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, some of I got I didn't work on this one, son of Emetei. Anybody? Yeah, nobody knows. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. Now, let me just give you a little background on Nineveh. I don't have a ton of time, but Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, Assyria was the dominant empire of this day. They were the enemies of Israel. They'd been at war with Israel for centuries off and on. I don't have enough time to go into how brutal and cruel of a people these were. I'll just give you one example. Speaking about a city he just destroyed, one of their kings had this to say. I quote, A pyramid of heads I reared in front of his city. Their youths and their maidens I burnt up in the flames. So listen, he made this giant pile of heads in front of the gate, and then burns all the women and children. That's just a tiny taste of how brutal the Assyrian Empire was. So they're not very nice people. 
In fact, they end up conquering Israel in 722 BC. And so bottom line, I'm getting that here. For Jonah, this is not a place you really want to go and preach, right? Not really my top choice to go to Nineveh. And so he runs away. He's headed for Tarshish just to give you a picture of what this looks like, right? I'm going as far west as I can possibly go. But in the story, here's the key. We're told it's not that he's running away because he's afraid of the Assyrians. He's running away from Yahweh. Why? Well, we don't find out until the end of the story. Now, you've probably experienced this. I know I have. Running away from God doesn't work. He always catches you. And he caught Jonah. We talked about this. He gets swallowed by this fish. And in chapter 2 of Jonah, Jonah repents. He confesses. And so this fish brings him all the way back to Nineveh, spits him up on the beach, and finally, even though he's not happy about it, Jonah obeys and he preaches the shortest sermon recorded in the scriptures. You want to see it? Here's his sermon. He's walking through the streets of Nineveh. You ready? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Woo! That is powerful, right? Powerful sermon. No illustrations, no stories, No message notes. Can you believe it? No Bibles under the seats in front of you. Yahweh is going to destroy you. Period. But in a shocking twist, look at how the Ninevites respond. Jonah 3, 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. They repent. They fast. Even the king, right? This cruel, brutal king from this long line of violent kings fasts. And repents. They even make their cattle put on sackcloth for crying out loud, begging for Yahweh's compassion and grace. And we read these extraordinary words in Jonah 3, verse 10. When God, Yahweh, saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. End of the story, right? Oh no, it gets even more interesting here. You would think at that point, Jonah would be exploding for joy. Yes, my sermon worked. Listen, if one person comes to faith in Jesus when I preach, I'm like on cloud nine the rest of the day. Not Jonah though, not Jonah. As John Mark Homer writes, Jonah goes into the adult equivalent of a temper tantrum. In fact, let's pick it up in chapter four, verse one. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? He's seething. He's angry. Why? Let's read why in the very next part of of the verse there on our notes. What does Jonah say? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So you understand this, right? Jonah's mad. He is mad at Yahweh. It's why he ran away. He knew that Yahweh would show compassion and grace to these people who simply do not deserve it. Hmm. I think God wants to teach Jonah a lesson here, right? Like, I'm a lot like Jonah. I like when God shows me compassion and grace. I like when he shows my friends compassion and grace. But my enemies? No, 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 no. Justice. Judgment. I prefer those things in those situations. When somebody treats me wrong, you're getting a glimpse into my heart. I don't want to show them compassion and grace. I want God to do something to them. 
I want bad things to start happening in my life. I mean, this boy that bullied me when I was young, right? I didn't like that he was popular. Lord, smite him. Right? Why does he get that? Why does he get to bully me? And he receives all this attention at the same time. This is Jonah. This is you. This is me, if we're honest. And of course, the irony of this story, do not miss it. Jonah doesn't deserve Yahweh's compassion or grace either. And this is the lesson he's trying to teach him the entire book of Jonah. If you're following, Jonah's mad, forgetting he doesn't deserve God's grace either. As J.D. Greer says, it's not that Yahweh finds it in his heart to show compassion and grace to a few bad people, like the Ninevites, along with us, quote, good people. He shows compassion and grace to bad people because that's the only kind of people there are. To put it differently, we are Nineveh. You are Nineveh. And God wants you and Jonah and me to understand this fact. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he shows us compassion and grace. And of course, friends, as the beautiful story of the Bible continues, we see compassion and grace come to its ultimate realization in the sending of Jesus, who is the greater Jonah. If you're following on your notes, Jesus is God's compassion and grace come in the flesh. If you were with us throughout this year, we've been studying the gospel of Mark together. How many times have we seen this? Jesus moved to compassion for somebody who is suffering. He's moved to compassion. We see all kinds of examples by the world's pain for the sick, for the blind, for people in the grip of demons. He's moved by compassion for the world's sorrow. It never ceases to amaze me. Even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he weeps at the death of his friend and how it's affecting those around him. He's moved to compassion by people who are hungry both spiritually and physically. He was moved to compassion by people's loneliness. Do you hear that today? Are you, are you lonely? There's a lot of that in our world today. Jesus is moved towards you. He feels for you. And then finally, he was moved to compassion when people, most often religious people, failed to recognize the Father's compassion and grace towards all people. Jesus told a parable about this that really ticked the religious people off. You've probably heard of it, the parable of the prodigal son, where Jesus depicts Yahweh as this loving father, but a son. He has two sons. One is a younger son. And at the beginning of the story, this younger son basically tells his father, I wish you were dead. Could you just please give me my inheritance now? And the father gives him his inheritance and then he goes off and he spends it all in wild living. He finds himself in a pigsty at one point. He says, I'm gonna go back to my father and at least ask that I could be a servant in his home. And so he's on his road down to his father and here is the verse, here's the gospel of Jesus Christ in one verse. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with what? Compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That is Yahweh's heart. Friends, if you're following, the father feels deeply and moves toward his children, even those who don't deserve it. He's the kind of dad who sees his wayward child on the horizon and goes running after him with open arms. This was scandalous as a Jewish father in these days. No dad would do this. Yahweh can't wait another minute 
to wrap his arms around you and welcome you and throw a party for you. His compassion and grace is just that big. But like Jonah, there are people listening to this story who don't like it because that is not what that son deserved, right? In fact, I'll just be honest. The other son is who I relate more to. The son who became bitter, who said, how can you be throwing this party? It's not, what's the word we love so much? not fair. That sounds a lot like Jonah. It sounds a lot like me. Most of us want mercy for ourselves, but we don't want that for others, especially those in our minds who don't deserve it. But Yahweh doesn't look like that, work like that. Yahweh is a God of compassion and grace to all of his children who relate to him. And friends, here's what I want to say to you. If you relate more to Jonah, if you relate more to the older son, there was a time in my life, I certainly did, then I just say to you, you probably don't understand the heart of the gospel. At some point, every one of us, to understand the gospel, have to declare what Paul declared in 1 Timothy 1.15. Can we read this out loud on the screen here? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Until you understand that, You won't understand why the gospel is good news. Jonah missed it. The older brother missed it. I missed it for a time in my life. I don't want you to miss it. Yahweh is a God of compassion and grace, even for people that don't deserve it. And this is good news because not one of us in this room deserved it. We were at one time objects of God's judgment. But in the greatest act of compassion and grace in history, God so loved the world, he felt for the world, he sent his one and only son to die on the cross that we deserve to die on. To take the death we deserved to die on. This is what makes Christianity different from any other religion. Friends, if you're on your notes, the gospel is Yahweh's compassion moved to the ultimate action. Grace. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2, 3 through 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, that's the same word for compassion, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Have you come to that realization? Can you say like Paul, I am the worst of all sinners. I do not deserve compassion or grace, and yet I will see Yahweh that way. I will see Yahweh as the perfect parent running out to me with compassion and love, embracing me in his arms through the sacrificial gift of his son, Jesus Christ. If so, I think there are two implications for you and for me in this message. The first one, these are going to be tough. If you're on your notes, do I treat others the way Yahweh treats me? Or do you still have a Jonah heart? Last summer, we did a series called Imago Day. That just means we're created in the image of God in the beginning. God created us, male and female, in his image. So what does that mean? Well, that means as Yahweh's people today, we are to image God to the rest of the world, right? If we are his children, if we are created in his image, then we are to be like little mini Yahweh's, right? In our communities, in our cities, in our schools, in our, in our workplaces, in our gyms. We're to like mirror him, look like him, so that other people can really know who this God is. 
So, how's that going for you? Compassionate and gracious. Is that the first thing people would describe for you? I don't think it is for me. Jesus once said, be compassionate as your father is compassionate. Yahweh is compassionate, so his children are compassionate. Yahweh is gracious, so we're to be gracious. Again, to quote Comer, there's a symbiotic relationship between a father and his sons and daughters, a family, DNA, and the family name is at stake. It's our job, it's our responsibility to carry the family's honor, to represent our father to the world. How are we doing? I look at our world right now and it needs a lot more compassion and grace, doesn't it? I think we've got the anger and name-calling and judgment stuff down. And friends, don't hear me wrong. You see it at the end of verse 7 of Exodus. There's going to be a time for judgment and justice. That is also part of who Yahweh is. But what we really need right now in this world are more sons and daughters of Yahweh who are going to go out into the world showing compassion and grace to people who don't deserve it because they realize, I didn't deserve it either. This means people that are not like you, people you don't like, people you may even hate. People you might consider your enemies. That was one of Jesus' most radical and disturbing teachings, isn't it? Love your enemies. Can I just tolerate them? No, he says love them. Love your enemies. And I say to you, Lord, that is not possible. It's not possible for me. Unless I've come to the realization that that's what you did with me. So who are your enemies? I know you don't like to use that word. I don't have any enemies. Who are the people that bully you, who bother you, who make fun of you, who grate on you, who make your life miserable, the people you hate? What would it look like for you to show compassion and grace to them, to treat them the same way that Yahweh treats you? Here's a couple ideas. Number one, forgive them. (sighs) Sorry. What if they're not sorry? Doesn't matter. Release them from your thirst for justice, not because they deserve it. They don't deserve it. But because you realize I didn't deserve it either. And yet God showed me grace. Listen, forgiveness isn't letting someone off the hook for what they did. We've got to get rid of this lie. It's not okay what they did to you, it's removing the burden that you're carrying around in your life because of it. Then pray for them. That's what Jesus said. Pray for them. And don't pray that they get a flat tire or a speeding ticket. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Now, even though you want to pray for justice, judgment, hard things, pray for grace instead. Besides your enemy, who are other people that God has put in your life to show compassion and grace to daily? Who are the people you rub shoulders with? I have a confession to make to you. Do you know sometimes the hardest people in my life to show compassion and grace to are the people I'm closest to? Have you noticed that yourself? I mean, just think about marriage, right? Marriage is a great example of this. I heard someone define marriage this way. Marriage is the art of learning to forgive over and over and over again, and it only works when nobody is keeping score. But we like to keep score. Because we're justice people. When your spouse screws up, and they will, except for my wife. (laughs) Listen, when they put the recycling bin out, forget to put, put the recycling bin out. When they load the dishwasher the wrong way, and there is a right way to load the dishwasher, amen. 
when they're chewing with their mouth full, what's your first response? Is it to show compassion and grace like your father shows you, or are you quick to criticize? I even noticed this week, I hate this, right? When you're preaching on these things, God's always like, hey, clue phone. I just notice, man, I'm quick to criticize. Same is true if you're a parent, right? Friends, being a parent is a chance every day to show compassion and grace. (laughs) One of the most important jobs you have is to show your kids the character of Yahweh. If you love them well, it will make it that much easier for them to believe in the kind of God that is being described here. Again, to quote Comer, he says, if you're cranky and always biting their little heads off, and then you tell them that God is their father who is full of compassion and grace, don't expect it to sink in. One of the greatest gifts you can give your children is to raise them so that they have as little unlearning to do as possible when they grow up, especially about God. I love that. As little unlearning as possible. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you don't have a spouse. You're single. So maybe for you, it's your roommate or your sibling. Here's the thing. EGRs, that's what I call them. Extra grace required people are not hard to find. If you go to church, like where you are right now, they're not hard to find. So when you come across an EGR, you see them. They annoy you. You want to run from them. Instead, step into it. Show them compassion. Show them grace, remembering that that is how Yahweh treats you. Second implication of Yahweh's compassion and grace may be even more challenging for some of you. I want you to ask yourself right now in honesty, do I really believe this is how Yahweh feels and acts towards me? It's not how I viewed God growing up. I'll just be honest. When I thought about God, especially in high school, I felt like Chad earlier in that video. I heard words like God would be disappointed with me. God was unhappy with me. God was annoyed with me. I was not good enough. I mean, I knew in my head that God said he's compassionate and gracious, but it didn't really take root in my heart. At a subconscious level, I still like always felt that God was disappointed, right? I never could quite do enough. And so my answer to that was what we call religion, where I just started to do better things, to be good, to do more good works, to get my act together, and so on and so forth. But that's a dead-end street. It's a dead-end street. And it wasn't until one day, I remember it, a senior in high school, I exchanged religion for the gospel of grace for compassion and grace that God has to me. And I want to be honest, it doesn't mean I still don't struggle with those thoughts. Who of us don't? But it does mean now I can turn that lie into a truth because this is what Yahweh says. And Yahweh doesn't lie. He is a God of compassion and grace, even to me. So what does it look like for you today to believe this? Today. Yahweh is really compassionate and gracious to you, not in just some abstract sense that you know in your head, but really like right now, his heart is for you. He's coming after you. He's running with arms open wide, just waiting for you to receive him and his grace. Is that true for you in the deepest part of your being? Yahweh is a perfect parent, not like your parents. And he wants to be in relationship with you. If you don't have that sense in your life, there's no time like the present. Like right now, you can approach this incredible God who says, here's the first thing I want you to know about me. 
I feel for you. I'm compassionate towards you. No matter what it is you've gone through or are going through or experiencing, I feel those things for you so much so that I acted in the ultimate act of grace. The author of Hebrews actually invites us to do this. Let's read it out loud. Hebrews 4.16 on our notes there. It says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive compassion and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you hear Exodus 34 there at all? How are we to approach this Yahweh who is a Yahweh of compassion and grace? How are you to approach him? Sheepishly? In fear and trembling? Confidently. You can approach him confidently. If you're following, we approach, you're going to have to write small. We approach him with confidence because he is compassionate and gracious. So two things. We're about to pray. And I want you to just pray about these two things. How am I treating others? And how do I view God? Yahweh's how he treats me, how he views me. One other thing I just want to say, real practical thing. I mentioned this book nine months ago. If you struggle with this, like if you're just being honest, it's really hard for me to see God showing me compassion and grace. I couldn't recommend Gentle and Lowly Enough by Dane Ortland. You'll read it and think, if you struggle with this, you'll read it and think, no. But then he shows you Bible passages and you're like, oh, I can't argue with this. He can't possibly feel this deeply for me. And yet he does. So let me encourage you as we go to God in prayer right now. Don't go to God as anything other than you are. You are his son. You are his daughter. Maybe you're feeling really guilt-ridden, fearful, appeal to his compassion. Remind yourself of his grace. Picture right now the father running to you. His arms are open wide, ready to welcome you home. Preparing the feast. So Lord, as we spend just a, a moment in prayer, preparing ourselves for communion, we want to consider these two questions. Do I really see you the way that you present yourself? Am I seeing you and receiving you as a compassionate and gracious father or as an angry and disappointed God? Please give me the eyes to see you how you want me to see you. And Lord, help us to do the same with others. Is there anyone in your life right now you're just not treating the way Yahweh treats you? Confess, it's a gift. Ask for his strength. Pray for them, forgive them, whatever it may be. We offer you this time now, God.
Yahweh, the one true creator God who spoke worlds into existence with one word. It is beyond fathoming that you look to us and say, I want to be in a relationship with you. It's beyond my understanding to see. Though I mess up daily, you feel compassion for me like a mother and a father does for their children. And it's beyond us to understand the gospel, the good news, that because you felt that way towards us, you acted in the most sacrificial way possible. You sent your son who died the death we deserved so that we may live the life both now and forever that you call abundant. We praise you and glorify you. Help us more and more to see you the way you really are. Who is this God? You are Yahweh, compassionate and gracious. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.